If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Welcome back, everyone. Very excited for the next hour. So today I have Anthony Johnson. He's a former CISO at multiple Fortune 100 companies and currently the managing partner at Delverisk. He's led the largest um, global cybersecurity programs in the financial services and is a passionate advocate for addressing the issues of diversity and inclusion within the IT domains. Happy to have him back. Today, we are going to be speaking on cybersecurity, the evolving landscape, and um, what business-oriented really means. So welcome to the show, Anthony. Awesome. Thank you so much. Happy to see you here again, and um, I won't take up a lot of time because I know you have a lot to talk about, so I'll just throw it over to you. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. So let me let me jump into this. Um, really, really appreciate the time from everybody. Um, I'm excited to talk about uh, talk about the topic today. <clears throat> what what you'll what you'll find is that whenever I do a, a a presentation, I try to make sure that it's not the classic cybersecurity. Um, let's just talk about segmentation or auditor components. Um, so just just know that going into this presentation, um, and uh, let's, let's jump into it here. So hello, FutureCon. Um, like I said, I'm really jazzed about the, uh, about today. Um, and uh, the, the topic, like, like Kim mentioned, is uh, the evolving landscape and what business-oriented really means. Um, this is something that's really um, important to me. And it's, it's important for a number of reasons. Because when, when I was a sitting CISO, um, and I'll give, go into a little bit of background myself. When I was a sitting CISO, um, and over the course of the last 5, 10 years, You've heard this term more and more, business-oriented, business, we have to be business-oriented. Um, and it's been really funny because I think I'm, I'm of the belief that words matter. Um, the words specifically that, that, we, that we use, the definitions, um, how we use them and the intent um, and, and, and the context. And I think that we as security leaders and IT practitioners have generally been using this um, or, or um, in maybe in the wrong manner, uh, maybe not, not understanding or thinking about it. Um, so, so before we get into the presentation, though, I always found this to be uh, an important piece. I, I was I was giving a talk um, one time, and um, it was actually the worst slide I ever had in my life. Um, I was following uh, talking about cybersecurity, and I was following Jay Leno interviewing Colin Powell. Um, and uh, Jay Leno says, "Hey, this man needs no introduction. Um, here's Colin Powell." And Colin Powell walks up, and he goes. Well, I actually I think it's important for people to know a little bit about my background besides just the name. Um, so I'm going to do the same thing and just give you a little bit of background um, of, of why you should listen to me on this topic. Um, and um, well, uh, hopefully that gives you, gives you some in, insight and context. So my background, I started off as a, as a hands-on practitioner in the U.S. Air Force. Let me slide over here um, <coughs> in, in the U.S. Air Force and really learned the 
nuts and bolts of technical packet analysis and, and, and deep, um, deep insights, and then moved into being a CISO at a number of companies. Uh, GE Treasury, Fannie Mae, I was the, the, the global CISO for the corporate investment bank at JP Morgan, um, was a deputy over at Cap One. And for the last few years, I've actually been building a company where I'm the managing partner and founder, uh, Delve Risk. And what we do is we study the largest enterprises, um, so the 1,500 largest companies out there, and our customers are actually sales and marketing teams, so cybersecurity sales and marketing teams. I say all of this to really give you some insight in that it's not just one paradigm that I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from. Um, it's based on experience. It's based on talking to a tremendous number of CISOs on a weekly basis, um, some cases that I still mentor um, or coach. Um, and it's also based on a, a lot of the research of what we're seeing um, as, a, as a market research company. Again, studying all these companies and security leaders. So uh, <clears throat> let's get into it. Business-oriented, like I mentioned, is a really, um, it's been this, this almost trigger word for, for, for me um, a, a little bit here. Um, and make sure I slide over here. There we go. Um, and it's, it's important because there are, there are a lot of people who use the word but actually don't know what it means. And as IT practitioners, we often um, have really different definitions. So when someone says, oh, I'm business-oriented, you don't actually understand oftentimes what that actually means um, and the nuances of that term. Um, so one of the important things, I'm going I'm to jump into this, this psych 101 view. So we'll start off with a little bit of psychology here. Abraham Maslow. Maslow. Um, he's, he's considered the founder of, uh, considered one of the founders of humanistic um, psychology. And you're probably like, okay, what does humanism and humanistic psychology have to do with cybersecurity and business? Um, just give me a, give me a little bit of rope. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get there really, really quickly here. Um, but let's talk about what the definition of humanism is. Um, when 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 Maslow Maslow started to pull this thing this this together, one of the definitions here was an ethical responsibility to lead to lead lives that are fulfilling or personally fulfilling while also contributing to the greater good. This definition actually has, has made its way into the corporate space in a really, really profound way, right? You'll often hear people talk about, um, hey, companies are allowed to make a profit, but they have to contribute to society. Um, it's not just about the profit. It's not just about, uh, about making money. Um, and now I'm not arguing the merits of whether that's good, bad, or, or right or wrong, um, but it's, it's, it's a reality that we live in, in that companies have often adopted this view of where they really look at this, this perspective of saying, um, how do we think about what we're doing and how we add value to our society, to our ecosystem, um, not just from the aspect of a particular good, a particular good product or service, but how does it impact the rest of the world? And there are a lot more companies that are popping up that actually have, you know, the, this notion of, of fulfilling a greater good as part of the core, as part of the core thesis, right? Um, sometimes they'll weave this in to, you know, in, into their mission statements, uh, which is just a whole another topic. I, I, I like to talk about um, the value and importance of those. Um, but the, 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 the thing here is that this, this notion of contributing to the greater good, um, living lives that are fulfilling, um, has really spawned and, and, and been adopted by, by, in large parts by corporate America. 
So here's something else Maslow created, though. This is the, uh, the, the, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, and this is one of my favorite, favorite images um, to really use when we, we talk about what businesses are doing, what we should be doing as, as cyber professionals. Because oftentimes as, as practitioners, we think our job is to, is, is to lock it down, to, to secure the world. Um, and I think it, I think it's important um, and, and valuable for us to to add value, um, <clears throat> rather um, to secure the world, to secure the company. Um, but we have to look at it in the context of of, of how this 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 pyramid structured here, right? So let's look at the people side. When it comes to people, when it comes to us as humans, um, animals, whatever, um, there is a need, um, and this is particularly around people, but um, there are a set of needs of those, those physiological needs, needs, things that we need to survive. So we look at things like food, water, warmth, rest, um, shelter is sometimes considered there, but it's all usually considered more in the safety component, right? But, but the physiological needs, the basic needs, are really around what does it take to live, right? And then we get into the next year. So once you've got the food, once you've got water, once you're you're warm and you can sleep, then you can get into the aspect of I'm worried about my safety. Am I safe where I'm at? Um, is is you know is it am I going to live through the night now that you've actually been able to live through the day here? Um, and then after you achieve that, you get to go to the next level, and that next level really looks at that belongingness and, and, and love needs, right? Um, relationships and, 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 and friends. Um, and then you continue to move up the pyramid and you get into the actual aspects of prestige, feeling of accomplishment, um, you know, that self-actualization, you know, we've, you, you, who you are, um, of, 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 of have you arrived as, as, as an individual, if you will, here. Now, when we think about business, businesses have very, very, very similar pyramid structure here, right? Um, except that the physiological needs of instead of the, the company needing food, water, warmth, and rest, they need revenue. Without revenue, they cannot survive. Um, and this is often lost on us when we work in large enterprises because we walk into an environment that has largely solved a lot of these physiological needs. They're not in the fight or flight, um, you know, we have to make enough revenue to survive mode. Um, you know, they usually have enough revenue. They usually have enough of the necessary components. And they're working across the rest of this, this hierarchy, right? Where security, the safety and security um, really sits at the next tier. And then we get into, you'll see a lot of these uh, inclusive initiatives, um, inclusion initiatives, diversity um, and inclusion components, which I'm a really, really big proponent of and I, I've helped to push throughout my career. But it's, it's, it's after security and safety, right? Then we get into the, the actual aspect of like, how do we have um, different senses of community? And, you know, how are we changing the world for good? Um, a really fun example, you know, a good example that, that, that I like to use are really some of the mega organizations that we have today, right? Google, um, when they first started, yes, they had the, the, the mantra um, and, and, and corporate mission statement of, you know, doing good. Um, but without those aspects of, 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 of the right level of revenue and growth, they couldn't actually achieve anything else further up the stack. 
um, Amazon, you know, if they weren't able to sell books in, in its early days, they never would, would, would have been able to grow enough to be able to achieve a number of their, their corporate initiatives um, that, that they really sponsor um, that are changing the world. Um, now, whether you're an Amazon fan or not, um, but uh, it's, it's just an important component to realize that this stack, this hierarchy of needs really holds true for people and business. If you just slightly look at it from a, a little bit of a, of, a, of, a, of a different paradigm here, um, hopefully that makes, makes sense to everybody. Um, so what does this mean for, for you know, um, in the context of, of, of this talk here? <clears throat> one of the pieces and where I mentioned earlier that um, we use the different, um, we don't have a standard definition for business oriented. This is generally what, what, I'm, what I'm talking about. Let me slide out of the way here. Hopefully, there we go. Perfect. Um, when, when, when people in business talk about business oriented, or when we think about the, 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 the actual definition of the term, there are generally four or five types of being uh, business oriented. The first is production oriented. Um, and then there's product oriented, marketing oriented, or sales oriented. Production oriented is really focused on how do we make sure that we are producing the goods, realizing a, um, a lower cost, um, maintaining efficiency levels, um, and really just, just optimizing that, that process, that, that delivery chain. Product oriented from a business, uh, if you're business oriented, but product focused, you're looking at optimizing the product. How do you drive innovation in, in, into the product? How do you make it the, the next generation? You're adding the next set of features, functionalities, capabilities that your consumers, customers, the market are really going to want. Marketing is, is really looking at how do we get market share? How, how are we getting market awareness um, about what we're doing? Um, and how do we make sure people know um, about the company, about the product, um, but this is very, very different from just saying we're building and focus on, on, on building a great product. And then finally, sales. Um, and if uh, somebody is, is, is sales-oriented or business-oriented sales, they're really focused on driving sales. Um, they're, 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 their objective is to drive, maximize um, the, those deal opportunities, to close as many deals as possible. Um, they're relying on the marketing components, of, of, of course, but their objective is to actually drive um, hardline sales, um, you know, top, uh, top line growth, um, as opposed to, the, uh, to, to margin um, or, 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 or net revenue. This is actually a, 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 a dimension of business-oriented that cybersecurity professionals seldom talk about. Um, and there's some good reason. Um, the reason is, is that most business-oriented IT folk focus on being production-oriented. Um, when we, when we, we think about this, it actually makes a lot of sense here, right? Um, part of the reason, is, the reason it makes sense is that IT has a history of having been um, viewed oftentimes as a utility. Now, I think that's changing. We'll talk about that just uh, a, a little bit here. Um, but when we, when, we, when we look at this, IT has historically looked at, um, been considered like a utility service where you, you walk in, you turn the lights on. You don't think about the lights. Um, you don't think about you know, the, the massive aspect of, of technical innovation that has had to happen to, to enable you know, just turning the light on and it just magically magically appears. Um, and 
security is, is, is kind of viewed in the same way, right? You have a lot of business leaders who are like, hey, I just want to be able to turn security on. It just secures stuff and, and, and we're off to the races. Um, and so IT and security leaders tend to focus on this aspect of business oriented, but it's not a deliberate decision. You, you will find some CISOs, um, some IT leaders who instead are actually focused more on the, um, the, the, the product side. Um, now, you'll find this more on, on earlier stage, uh, mid-level organizations where they're trying to drive some aspect of, of, of pure innovation here, um, where they're really look, looking to step up. You'll definitely see this in earlier stage cybersecurity companies, um, IT, and you know, um, application uh, solution companies. Um, in, 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 in very, very few cases, we see the IT function really helping on the marketing side, um, being business-oriented marketing. Um, but in, in, in other cases, you, and you'll see them a lot, um, security leaders, especially at product companies, are you know, business-oriented but helping to drive sales. So when a CISO um, for a company shows up as part of a sales meeting or a sales deal, um, that's where you know that they're really coming into this from that sales perspective. Uh, and this was a fascinating experience for me um, at JP Morgan. I would actually um, bounce between, of course, the production um, business oriented, and in some cases, the sales business oriented. As we worked with, um, you know, the the investment bank clients, winning deals, etc. Um, and it, it's it's just a very very important dynamic to to really consider of what type of business oriented are you talking about um, when you say, hey, I'm going to be business oriented, or somebody says they are business oriented. What does this look like? And this gets into the the first challenge I would have for for everybody. Let me slide back over, Um, which is to to really be deliberate here, right? To what does this look like from a a sense of um, being business-oriented for you? It's really dangerous to accidentally do something in a company, (laughs) Um, doing something in a company. Um, I say this from a, a bit of experience of going, going from, you know, a Fortune 100 CISO to a startup founder, um, because the the accidents um, just end up getting you into this really weird dynamic um, of, uh, of, of, of misdirection. And if you don't have the context of what the rest of the company is oriented on, you may find that you are production oriented when the rest of everybody else is, is marketing oriented that time, or they're focused on a level of innovation or, you know, what they really realize they need to drive a lot of sales. Um, and that's what they're looking at. Um, so, so, so my challenge to the audience is to be deliberate in understanding um, and driving your business orientation. Um, and if you can do that, and if you can get the context of the people in your company um, that, that you're working with, it's going to help you a tremendous amount um, because you're going to know where, where they're starting from here. Okay, um, I'm just trying to make sure we're, we're going to be good on time here, and we will be, so uh, this is a, 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 a small segue, but I'm bump. Um, so business orientation meets citizen developer. So before we get into, into this, and I will tie this all back together here um, shortly, um, I did hopefully warn everybody um, that I will be using a couple of Gartner quotes, um, so uh, Father, please forgive me. Um, Nothing but love for you, Gartner. Um, but I, I will be using a couple of Gartner quotes, um, and because I think they're, they they do some great research, um, I, I think that what they're doing is, is really really interesting here, um, and particularly around this notion and topic of a citizen developer. Um, over the past few years, you've, you know, you've seen and heard this 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 term pop up, 
Um, and it's, it's been really, really exciting and slightly terrifying for me. Um, largely because it, 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 it kind of changes the, some of the words that we've used in the past. Um, if you think about, you know, 10 years ago, um, we called everyone shadow IT. Um, and that actually sounds really spooky. Um, it's, it, it sounds almost as if they're bad for doing the thing, which I think largely a lot of us view shadow IT as, as, as really bad. Um, but now with the term citizen developer, they are good. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it, it's kind of this really fascinating, terrifying thing um, that I'm trying to wrap my head around. Um, and hopefully maybe if you guys have some thoughts on how to wrap your head around it, you can, you can share that with me. Um, but it's largely the same thing for me. Um, so let's look at the definition. An employee who creates application capabilities for consumption by themselves or others um, using tools that are not actively forbidden by IT or business units. Now, there's so many crazy components about this definition um, and where this will continue to evolve. Um, but let me dissect the, the, the first part here. This is they're, they're, they're creating capabilities, not necessarily applications, um, but capabilities for consumption by themselves or others. This is something that's a really, really um, complicated um, thing for, for security professionals to to get their head around. Um, here's why. Because when we have end users creating compute um, solutions, sometimes those are fancy spreadsheets. There, you know, I've, I've seen spreadsheets, I'm sure some of you have, where they are so complicated, you can't tell me they're not code. Um, they are so in-depth and so, um, so interwoven that you, you pretty much need to be a developer to, to understand them. But they're not just used by that one person to solve one thing. Because if it's a really, really great, um, great spreadsheet or tool or capability, um, it gets used by them and their manager and another team. And before you know it, in the blink of, blink of an eye, it's now part of your end of quarter, end of year, tax filing, reporting, audit components. It's now in so interwoven that you actually can't, or it's very, very difficult to, to, to pull this out. Um, and the other problem is that in order to re oftentimes to replace those things, you actually have to go buy this really complicated other solution that's, and that's oftentimes very expensive. Um, and it's, it's not custom fit, like whatever this, th these, these uh, you know, end user compute things were, were, were um, made for here. And then the second part of this, of this, of, of this, uh, this definition that terrifies me is using tools that are not actively forbidden by IT or business units. <clears throat> The word actively is, is, is kind of the big, the big flag here um, and something to, to, to really look at because it's not actually possible for um, IT and cybersecurity to actively forbid or actively manage all the various tools, platforms, and in, in, in ways that somebody could create um, an application capability. Um, so, so what are we left with? As practitioners, we're left with a world of where there are an infinite number or opportunities or, or pathways for somebody to create a capability, we maintain the expectation by the rest of the business to secure it. Um, but there's also an infinite number of these, of, of these folks popping up. So to get into a, a, a little more detail on this here, <coughs> excuse me, um, to get into a little more detail here, 
um, there's really three types of uh, um, uh, citizen developer kind of modes as, as we kind of look at it. The first is what you would look at from a, a no code. Um, these are these are applications or, or, or capabilities that are made in a really really easy manner. Um, pretty much just like making a PowerPoint presentation, right? You can quite literally drag a box over here and that's an input field and you can do, drag this here. And as these applications, um, these no code solutions become easier and easier, um, it actually re lowers the bar and makes makes the, the development and, and, and the, the creation capability um, of, these, um, uh, of these, uh, the, these tools much, much lower um, where you don't actually have to be technical at all. Um, which is great from a business perspective of, hey, we want to people to be creative, um, to help solve, um, you know, maybe some of our, our, our internal processes. But it's a nightmare for IT to think about, okay, if everybody who can make a PowerPoint presentation can just now whip up apps, um, what does that look like? How do I think about that? <clears throat> and then we get into the slightly more complicated or low code. So um, still really easy here, right? So there might be a, a couple hooks, um, some things, and there's you know no endless, um, there's no end to the uh, amount of uh, videos um, training um, that are out there for for, for these users. Um, and so again, if 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 no code is slightly more uh, very easy, low code is slightly more complicated, and um, but higher risk as well. Um, of, of the security teams and IT teams not actually having the, uh, the, the full transparency of what's in there. And then we get into what's been kind of the, the you know, the Swiss Army knife, of course, which is they can code. Why, why am I mentioning people who can code um, in, in, in this notion of citizen developers? Um, for a couple of reasons. <laughs> a couple of reasons. If, we, if we rewind to 20 years ago, um, Things like YouTube, the sheer content of videos, it's, it's in the, you know, a tremendous amount of data is in, in video content is uploaded on a daily basis around the world. Um, I think, the, I think the, the, the quote, if I remember right, is more, more information is uploaded each day than the entirety of the history of the world before, um, which is just a crazy amount of, of, of data and information, right? And I'm sure that's just compounding here. Um, why, that, why that matters is that, it's easier to code. There are um, 20 years ago, it wasn't as easy to code. You actually had to go to take classes or it was more in depth to get, to get education and learning on this. And more now people are learning to, to code in a much easier, more, much more streamlined self-service type, type of manner. Um, and so we have people in college coming out of college, self-learning. You have people in finance who are actually now coding. Um, and what's really, really fascinating here is that you're, we're seeing more people that are actually coding um, than um, in, in, in a kind of a, a non-technical job um, than, ever, than ever before. Um, so this is, I think, the second and last Gartner quote here. Citizen developers will outnumber professional developers by four to one um, by 2023. It's June of 2022. <laughs> um, when, when I read this, when I read this, this, this quote before, um, it really freaked me out um, because as IT practitioners, um, as security leaders, maybe some of you are, don't feel the same way, but I feel like we barely have a handle on the professional developers. Um, and some of us don't, um, right? We're still working on those things. And then, then when, when we think about and we look at aspects like 
open source library dependencies, um, unknown library dependencies. You know, where, where are the developers copying their code from? Um, because there is a lot of code reuse that happens, um, both on forums, message boards, people sharing from Gits, people pulling, pulling things down, where they're compiling components that they don't actually understand. Um, you know, what does that look like from that, that entire software supply chain piece here, right? Um, and, and over the past year, we've been talking a lot about, as an industry, SBOM and software supply chain. But when you compound this with the volume of citizen developers that are popping up, who can now code, who are no longer restricted to IT, um, you add in the fact the, the, the fact and ease of, of, of no code and low code applications, we get into a whole new world um, of, uh, of, of, of potential risk, pain, um, and, and ultimately it's a, it's, it's a, it's a big challenge. Um, so there's a question came up. Let me go ahead and just, just try to answer that here. Um, if they're not actively forbidden by IT, are they breaking any rules? Um, they are teetering that line. Um, I think it's actually a really, really, really great question. And if we if we jump back to um, to you know this this whole notion of uh, what are we trying to do um, as as IT professionals, um, we can't really make a rule for everything. Um, it's kind of like being a parent, right? You can't necessarily just make a massive set of rules for for everything. Although we 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 all, we often try. Um, but I would say they're probably not breaking any rules if they're not active, if the, if the thing isn't actively forbidden here, right? Um, because the one of the, the one of the things that we're, we're, we have to keep in mind is that they are working to solve a business problem. They're working to, to somehow make the company move faster, focus on production orientation, you know, that product orientation. Um, maybe it's going to help them with their sales models or, or customer acquisition or even marketing uh, automation. Um, so I would say they're probably not breaking the rule. Um, but they may be, be breaking the intent of what we're, what, what we're look, looking to do here, right? And if we get too restrictive, we end up in a world of where cyber and security isn't, is, is, goes back into that world of no, where we're not actually really helping the company to you know, focus on helping them to, to grow, um, which is, again, going back to this, this business orientation. If we're, if we're not sales-oriented, maybe we're, we're not trying to help them grow. Maybe we do need to focus on them being um, production oriented, or maybe we should be spending time with them, um, the rest of the business, and helping them to look at the product orientation to to, to get the next you know next generation service or, or capability out there. Um, is, which leads into this, which is that they're they're everywhere. These citizen developers are everywhere, um, and the, probably the best analogy that I, I can I, I can think of is um, around 2006, 2007, um, when smartphones started to really come into bear. I think the iPhone came out in 2007, 2008. I'm sure somebody could, could correct me. Um, everybody in cyber said, "Nope, not on my watch. We're not going to let these devices on our network." You know, no BYOD, bring your own device, no BYOD. You have to have a corporate phone. Everyone's just going to get two phones. Um, and that quickly went away. Um, it quickly turned into a, well, nobody really wants to carry two phones. Um, it's a lot easier if they can, you know, we got to meet, we got to, we got to meet the users where they are. Um, and now we are in a world of not only are we talking about personal phones of, you know, being on the network or having access to corporate resources or data. Now we have, you know, 
we're, we're, we're in a world of where people literally are working from home in, a, in, in massive ways where they do not want to go back to the office, where it's a completely different dynamic um, of how we think about securing a physical location, you know, shoulder surfing. Um, you know, that's not even a thing that to really talk about anymore because you can't protect against shoulder surfing when, you know, 50, 70, 80% of your workforce is no longer in, a, in an area that you actually control. Um, and this is ultimately especially true for citizen developers here, right? Um, how do we know that it's actually the person who works for the company who built the thing for us? We don't, right? They may have a friend who did it, or they may outsource it, or they, they, they may tap somebody on Fiverr to say, hey, I need this thing here. Let me just give you some data sets and walk you through this. And then you, 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 can, you can build me something. So not only are we looking at this aspect of no code, low code, or code, um, we're now looking at the aspect of a massive proliferation of not just data um, capabilities, um, but the creation of these capabilities. Um, so citizen developers are everywhere. They're internal to our organizations, they're external to our organizations, and it's something that we ultimately really need to, to figure out how we get our, our, our heads around and, and, and solve here. Um, <clears throat> which leads into this notion of compounding problems. Citizen developers aren't necessarily bad here, right? Um, again, they're looking oftentimes to solve a business problem here. Um, there was a story, um, I, I, I want to say it was about three years ago, um, of a, a developer who received multiple great reviews for, for two years. It was in the news. Um, I can't remember the name of the company. Um, but multiple great, great reviews. After two years, um, the IT team had, the cyber team had detected um, a VPN connectivity coming in from China and they shut it down. Um, they did some research and they found out that the developer had actually outsourced their job to somebody else in China. Um, now, the, this Chinese developer was doing a great job. Um, they, they, they were writing the code, they were meeting the expectations, they were doing all of the things. Um, and this developer, um, the, the person who actually worked for the company was just you know taking the days off for effectively for two years, um, collecting uh, the paycheck and then paying somebody else to, to do the work. Um, which really gets into this really interesting, interesting question of, was that person malicious? Um, and I would actually say no, they just found a better, more efficient way to do their job. Um, which is a uh, you know kind of an interesting uh, way to way to think about it. Now, were they unethical? Were they did they lie? Um, you know, it's th those are all different different questions. Um, I do find it funny that the for two years they got rave reviews on their um, their, their code quality and delivery though. Um, but it ties into this piece here is that these th that person these citizen developers generally they're not malicious. They're they're just trying to get their job done. They're, they're, they're trying to meet, exceed, um, add value to the organization. Um, but they each have their own definition of what business-oriented means, right? And this is particularly challenging for security leaders because we have to think about what is the context of this person and what's the context of this person and what's my decided context and how do I add value and translate all of this back to leadership when the marketing team is focused on automation, creating capabilities, um, and focused on just getting the message and word out there. Sales is trying to streamline and acquire new customers. We have an innovation team, perhaps, that's really trying to step up the, the, the organization um, and capabilities. 
and we have the, the rest of the company that's trying to run really, really efficiently. So how do I take all of that, munge it into something, and then go have a conversation with the board? Because just saying business-oriented doesn't capture that, right? Um, I think that we have to look at and, and, and be really, really deliberate again in what type of business orientation we are, where we're focusing, and this has to align with the objectives of the company. And I don't mean the company air quotes in forever. I mean, what's the company committed to this quarter? What is the company committed to this year? Because when we, we, we go back to the, the, the higher, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that notion of, 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 of revenue, right? Um, just to, to pop it back up here. That notion of, of the physiological needs, that aspect of revenue, it could also be growth, right? Particularly when we start getting into this whole new world that we're facing. So a slightly bigger segue, um, but I'm bump, um, is, to, is, is, is to really look at you know, re- retention challenges that we have and the economic components here of, of, of what we're all uh, facing, dealing with, and, and looking at. Okay. <clears throat> if we've seen anything over the past two years, um, besides the ability for IT to suddenly say, hey, we could never have a remote workforce. It's going to take three years for us to get those projects done. And, you know, we suddenly figured it out in, uh, in, in, in four weeks for most of the companies. Um, if we see anything besides that, it's that retention is really, really challenging. Um, for people to change, I, I want to say it's, it's a sheer, it's, it's like 50%. I think the last one of the polls I saw was that 50% of people are considering changing the jobs of the next year. Um, which is which is one fascinating. Um, the the notion of corporate loyalty has shifted um, really really dramatically, um, and some for good for for really good reason. Um, you know, having lived in in a, uh, or, or or worked in Midtown uh, Manhattan when I was a JP, I had an hour hour and fifteen hour and twenty commute um, each way, um, and you know, people suddenly realizing that hey, I don't have to com- commute for two hours a day for. 10 hours, 15 hours a week anymore, not including any flight travel or anything, just a regular commute. Um, I don't have to, you know, show up at the office and I, I can maybe be more productive or I, I you know, I, I can do my work from, from uh, right where, where I balance my life a lot more. Um, changing a job now is often is, is pretty much as easy as having a different Zoom link. Uh, maybe you have a different laptop, some different login credentials. Um, but generally, We've, we've, we, it's, it's, it's a much easier um, path now for people to, to uh, shift, shift their role. We've lost a lot of the human touch pieces, those, those human touch elements, like friendships at the office, um, you know, where, where you, you can walk by and have that quick conversation. There's a lot of great innovation, of course, that, that's, that's uh, in, in collaboration. I, I believe that's lost by not having those in-person components. Um, but the job market is shifting, right? We're also seeing competitors, um, com- uh, compensation, um, competition in, in a really, really dramatic way. Um, there's probably 15 to 20 folks that I know that run security operation centers where they've had team members who, um, where they've poached and then the person has been poached back at 40, 50, 60% increases to base compensation, um, which is, which is mind blowing here. Right. And 
it doesn't look like it's slowing down. The reality of what, what, what we look at is that we're going to have a world of where we have ultra high, um, high value organizations that can afford the top tier talent and then more of a mid market and SMB market that actually um, just can't afford those, you know, can't afford that $300,000, $400,000 salary um, for, for some of the best, um, the best minds out there. Um, so we have, uh, we have users, people who are making, you know, changes for their jobs um, and they're, they're, they're changing their job. They're making changes in, 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 you know, family compensation shifts, which is great, but it's a challenge for both us as cyber practitioners, but it's also a challenge because a lot of times these users feel like what they built is theirs. Um, and they may say, well, I built this, this no code or low code component. I'm just going to go ahead and take all that intellectual property, all the things that I did for job one and bring it over to job two. Um, if you're job two, it's a, it's, it's a risk. Um, definitely. Um, you know, from a, from a corporate IP theft perspective, um, it's a, if you're job one, it's a risk definitely from a corporate IP loss perspective. Um, and if you're a security leader at either one of those, you're trying to figure out which job you are and where do you, where does this fit in and did any other data come along the way? Um, and, uh, again, the, the, this talent market doesn't look like it's, it's, it's slowing down here. Um, which actually runs a little bit different um, in, in, in contrast to this next slide here, which is um, the economy isn't really pleasant right now. Let's see if I can find a good spot to hide out here. Um, there we go. I'll just do that. There we go. Um, and it doesn't look like it's going to get more pleasant. Um, a lot of uh, one, one, one of the... Uh, the the you know the, the titans of Wall Street, somebody who's re really has a really great pulse in the market, is Jamie Dimon, um, and this is a quote that I found to be really powerful. Um, he said a few weeks back, he said, uh, I, "I I said there's storm clouds, but I'm going to change it. it. It's a hurricane." Then um, doesn't know whether it's going to be a minor one or super storm stand super, super storm Sandy. This is really important because we we haven't had a really big market impact like this since about 2008. Um, and it's kind of unprecedented with, with how the market is looking, the number of companies um, that are really going through layoffs right now, um, and the number of people who are willing just to change their jobs so quickly here, right? I am I, a huge fan of memes. Um, you know, if life could just slow down, that'd be, that, that, that'd be great. Uh, I think there's a lot of us that are kind of feeling this right now, uh, particularly if you're, you're in a sales or marketing perspective. Um, you're, you're looking at, hey, what does this look like? Are these organizations going to be slowing down purchasing? Um, if you are at one of the enterprises, it really gets into more of a conversation of, um, are we going to be consolidating folk? Are we reducing staff? Um, what does that mean from a data protection perspective? What does this mean for things that they've been building? And then ultimately, how does this all, all, all work? Um, over the course of the next year, which gets us to let's let's tie this all together here, right? Um, as we think about security, and as we think about the the three kind of uh, groupings that we've kind of talked about over the last uh, forty five minutes here so far, there are a, a few things that I want to really really um, really highlight. Um, the first is that I think we've been we've been. We, we have to look at this, this notion of business orientation in context. Um, and it's going to be changing. Um, it's going to be changing in some fairly, fairly dramatic ways. Um, and we're going to see businesses and organizations really vastly 
um, between what they're focused on. In one quarter or six month period, it might be you know efficiency, production, um, reducing cost. In the next quarter um, or, or six month period, it very well could be, could be, hey, we have to drive top line revenue piece here. Um, and when the companies start to, to, to look at and get focused in, in, in these motions, um, we kind of realize that everything else higher up the stack starts to get, to get sacrificed. Um, and the one thing we, that's, that's probably a massive detriment to security leaders is to, to stomp our feet, um, to say, hey, that's not fair, that's not right. Um, because at the end of the day, if resources contract, it doesn't support the rest of the of the of the hierarchy. The rest of the uh, the rest of the pyramid, the rest of the hierarchy, will have to correspondingly retract. Um, and this is just a matter of again going back to the human people physiological needs. If I don't have enough calories to to live, um, and that live may be defined as the appropriate level of growth demanded by investors or the market or what we've committed to. It could be whether we have enough money to make it through the quarter or through, you know, X amount of um, X number of quarters here. If we don't have the resources to actually survive as individuals, then we're, you know, we're not focused on the, the everything else, the, the, the feeling of belongingness, right? If I, if I don't have enough food to eat, then I'm not worried about how, how good I feel about whether I've achieved my, my sense of uh, self-actualization here, right? I'm, I'm worried about getting enough water or getting enough food. Companies are, 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 are the same way. If, if, the, if the revenue and resources to um, an outlay, and this, that's an important component, if they, if they are not aligned and we we run we we run into a situation of where security, safety, DNI, like all of these other components that that are important, they take a backseat. And what you'll find is that those business orientations of efficiency and sales, or things you're going to add to the top line, will take priority. And it's a really really dangerous component for us to kind of get in the way of it here. Um, rationalization up the stack must occur. It's, it's, it's unrealistic. And this is, it's, it's, I, I spend a, a tremendous amount of time um, every week talking with security leaders. Um, and again, as, as a company, Dell Risk, we, we study the 1500 largest enterprises studying their cyber programs, budgets, um, the security leaders, um, and we really do this to get a sense and context of, of um, things that are going to be important to help the sales and marketing teams of, of cyber companies. But what we're seeing and what we're, what we're realizing is that <clears throat> this is a concern and top of mind for a large number of them, of them saying, okay, how do I, how do I deal with this talent shortage? How do I deal with citizen developers? How do I deal with the economic conditions because I can't ask, I can't in good faith ask for more money when the market looks like we're going to be shrinking. We may lose market share. We may lose wallet share. Um, and in likelihood, I'm going to have to restrict or contract my resources. I'm going to have to rationalize, you know, my spend, maybe not backfill some of those roles. So the net here is that cyber is important. Um, but we have to be prepared 
to really accommodate um, the most critical needs of the business. Um, that's growth and revenue, right? In the same way that safety is important. I want to have a, 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 a safe house, um, but I, I, I can't, that's, that's less important than having enough food um, and then less important than having enough water. And if we think about it in, the, in, in, that, in that context, um, then, then perhaps we as practitioners can look at what, what type of business orientation we need to be focused on for this, this quarter, this, this next year. What has the company committed to? Um, and I, I really, really encourage people to, to, to look at your 10Ks, your Qs, any of your earning statements um, to get a sense of the direction of the organization. Because if they're committing to cost-cutting measures, you don't want to walk in and ask necessarily be asking for more money, right? You don't want to walk in running into a business orientation um, or a, a set of requirements or requests that run counter to the direction of, of what the organization is, is looking for. And with the economic conditions turning into a hurricane, um, to, to, to quote Jamie Diamond, um, we're not sure what the commits are going to be on a, on a quarter by quarter basis, right? We're going to see some really, really interesting things here. Um, so business orientation, the definition of what business, orienta- business oriented means is to really be flexible here. Right. Um, and I know I just have a, you know, about nine minutes left here. So I'm going to wrap up with, with, with this, this slide here. Um, so I think it's important to always give some folks some takeaways, some suggestions on what, on what to do here. One, so we've talked about psychology. We've talked about citizen developer. We've talked about talent, um, tough economy, the changing space of how we secure components. But really, it, it ultimately boils down to we have to proactively decide what type of business orientation we need to be um, for the for the time period, and then flex and be flexible to what the business is is is, pu- is pushing on. Um, you know, during during that time period, we will see a lot of um, some interesting sacrifices and compromises that companies are going to make over the next uh, next year. I think Tesla uh, announced even a, you know a ten percent staff reduction, um, and you're seeing a lot of these layoffs starting to hit starting to hit. Um, so if they're looking for, for production optimization and reducing costs, um, it's probably not the best time for you to walk into your company asking for a number of, a number of headcount here. So get ready to context shift at an unprecedented speed and rate. Um, so this is going to be something that's going to be really, really important. <clears throat> the second, though, is, is, is probably, I would say, almost the most important is to understand how it all works. Understand how your company works. Understand how do they actually do marketing? How do they actually do sales? Um, again, we... I, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. We mostly spend and mostly accidentally spend our time focused on being production business oriented. Um, but there's these other dimensions which are, um, are really, really important. And every team across the company has a different focus of what they're, what they're looking at. Um, but if you can understand how it all stitches together, you have a much better opportunity, a better chance um, to, to then flex or pivot your resources, um, conversations, and have actual alignment. And in that sense, you'll truly be business oriented um, and you'll, you'll truly be able to have a conversation with um, each one of the business leaders, with their functions, um, and really help to, to add value um, for, for the direction of the organization. <coughs> and then the final thing here is to maximize automation. <clears throat> we can't hire our, our way out of this. Um, I had a great conversation um, last week at RSA where somebody was talking about, well, we just need to train people. 
Um, and, and we're going we're gonna to focus on training. Training is great. There's more training and information video content out there today for free um, than we could possibly imagine. Um, we can't necessarily just hire away. There's not enough people um, to, to, to do this, um, particularly with, 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 with the talent components, people shifting, you know, a, a different sense of what company corporate loyalty means. Um, but we also have to look at the aspects of automation um, in, in, on the attacker side, right? They are not constrained or restricted by the number of uh, any number of regulatory requirements or, or you know, non-compete or non, uh, you know, non-information sharing or collusion. Um, they will share, cheat, do everything possible to automate um, and increase the velocity and number of attacks. In order for us to solve this, in order for us to meet the market, we have to look for automation as well. So uh, the third piece of um, my suggestion is to maximize automation, right? Search for ways that you can consolidate solutions, search for ways that you can optimize for your business um, environment, because you have to recognize, and we, we have to look at the market and realize the companies are about to lose their minds. Um, the market is already losing its mind. Our leadership teams are, are gonna respond um, uh, accordingly. They're gonna have to pivot, make different choices and sacrifices here. Um, and so the, one of the most important impactful things we can do is look at automation and integration into our processes. So try that automation, understand how it works, and then, and of course, proactively decide what business orientation, what type of business orientation um, you are going to be as a IT or security leader. Um, and I believe this is going to be the best way for you to add um, add meaningful value to the organization over the next um, next couple of years. Thank you, Anthony. I know that. Um, thank you for that. A quick question before we wrap up, because one of the things that I've been seeing with a lot of our CISOs that have been on the show is there is a new um, wave of CISOs changing, leaving that role and going to positions like you and starting their own thing, stepping down because of the, the burnout of the CISOs. What, what do you foresee the future to look like? and that whole burnout of CISOs and how do you think that people should manage the, you know, home lifestyle business, the whole, you know, cause it's. Yeah. That, that's, that's probably a really, really great, maybe a, a different topic for us to kind of dive into. I mean, a, a, across the 1500 companies that we're, we're studying, there's, I'm looking at the data right now, there's uh, almost 200 companies without a CISO enroll. Um, and a number of them have not had a CISO enroll for six plus months or more. Um, and it's, you know, you can't say that they, they don't care about security. They've just, you know, decided to make a different path on what they're looking at. Um, and, you know, this month alone, there were, um, you know, thir- in, 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 in May, there were 30 CISO moves in the, these 1500 organizations, which is just fascinating, right? Um, now I think we're going we're gonna to see more in, in, in June and July. Um, it is a really, really uh, interesting, interesting level of shifting that happens on a regular basis. Usually it's cyclical early beginning of the year, not, not so much, but um, it's probably a whole conversation though. It is. It definitely is. And I didn't mean to put a big uh, question like that on you, but you are the perfect example that left, you know, the, the, the business sector went over to your own, you know, Dalvarez. So I thought you were someone that would be, you know, had some good insight on that question. Yeah. It's a, um, it's a, it's, it, it's been, it's been wild. So, um, but yeah, it's a, it, it is interesting to see, see the number of people that are, are going out and shifting and trying to do that. Um, 
I think we're going to see more of it, though. I, I, I think that over the security leaders who cannot context shift with the needs of the business, right? Like we've had the last 10 years of people just saying, oh, I just need more money. I need more money. Um, that's going to change. Um, and those security leaders will find uh, new opportunities, I think. And sorry about my background noise. Of course, my housekeeper is right outside my door vacuuming and there's no way for me to tell her to stop. So so for all my viewers, you guys have been on the show a lot. Sorry about that. But one last thing I want to say is I also am seeing a different shift of the CISOs that have gone out on their own and now they're coming back and taking roles. So um, it's, it's, it's hard to build a business. Um, thankfully we've, like I said, we've uh, had a lot of success um, and yeah, we have, we have some uh, great customers and um, it's been, we're doing something really, really new and interesting for sales and marketing orgs. Um, but it's, it's, it's hard to build a business. So. Well, yeah. Well, kudos to everything that you've done. And if anybody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? I would say uh, you, Definitely, uh, yeah, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, of course, shoot me an email um, or, uh, you know, check out our, our, our website. You can do a contact form um, and uh, just, just send a note there. We'd love to chat with anybody, though. All right. Well, Anthony Johnson from Delveris, thank you so much for spending the last hour with us. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.